All right, y'all. I love the Lord's Day, and it's wonderful to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And we're going through, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. We're going to be going through it for the next several weeks, maybe off and on. Maybe we'll jump back and forth between a couple of things as we have in the past. But as we're walking through this, as we, as I feel like I typically say, as we're beginning to, to instruct, to teach on a, on, a, on a particular passage, one of the things that I want, to, I want to make sure that we're doing is pushing down um, the things that maybe we think that we know about these texts, because the danger here is that whenever you read a text like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in grease pastures. Whenever you read that, there's a chance, you know, if you grew up in church, that you're hyper familiar with this text, and it just goes right through your ear canals and through the brain and right out the other side without you really thinking about anything that the words actually say. And so before, before we jump in, I, I feel like I, I always offer this word of caution to us. Maybe I'm just beating a dead horse. So if I'm beating a dead horse, please forgive me. But I feel like it's one that should be beat, should be. That's the wrong way to say that. Anyway, I feel like this is important for us to say. With such common texts like this and the Beatitudes, we need to go in with ears open, sitting forward, ready to hear, and follow the Lord for, for His instruction that He's going to be teaching us. So I want, to, I want you to be listening with fresh ears, seeing with fresh eyes, and ready to, to receive some instruction that maybe you, you didn't expect to hear from these texts, because, because frankly, we've been missing it for our lives. But look with me, Psalm 23, we're going to do verses 1 through 6 this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us your words. I pray that we would follow it and trust it, embrace it, and that we would be led by the power of your Holy Spirit and conviction of our sin to repent and to receive your truth above all else. Today, I pray that we would remember that you are our shepherd, the good shepherd that cares for your sheep and cares far better than anything we could possibly imagine. Thank you. Let us be not too much like sheep. May we not run away blindly. May we drink from clean waters. May we follow you in all of our life. May we trust you and may we not be dumb like sheep, at least as best we can. Lord, we pray for this grace in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's where we're honing in today. I shall not want. Now, that's tricky, okay, by itself. Because here's the thing that happens. You have lenses through which you are reading the Scriptures. We all do. We all bring 
our personal views, our, our personal experiences, our, uh, the fancy word is hermeneutic. We, we bring our hermeneutic, our lens, to the Bible, especially when we see words like that, like want. It, it's very tricky, and it's very likely that many of us are reading that word through the, through the wrong lens. Because, for, for example, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Does that mean contentment right there? Does that mean I, sh- I shouldn't want things? I shouldn't want anything at all? No, that's not what it means. Because the Bible teaches us throughout that there, there are good things for us to desire. In fact, the, the Beatitudes made it clear. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For, for they shall receive it. Okay? Now, we should, there are things that we should be desirous Oh, the Bible says you have not because you what? You see, we, we need to understand some important principles here that we've got to ask and seek and follow and trust and obey the Lord in these things and not just think that want means want stuff. It doesn't mean that. That's, that's in fact, Easternism or, or socialism. That's not Christianity. In fact, there's a, there's a popular phrase from some socialist thinkers. They say, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You will own nothing and you will like it. That, that's, that's, the, that's the derivation of the wrong interpretation of that expression, I shall not want. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. What? So it's not a condemnation against wanting. It's not saying wanting is bad. But do you see how there's? it's so easy to read just this little phrase the wrong way your entire life? Do you see how easy that was? How easy that is? And maybe some of you have just realized that, oh, no, I have, I have been reading that my whole life the, the wrong way. We need to take a moment here. Okay, this is a little aside that I want to go on in this sermon. But we need to take a moment here and stress the importance of not reading the Bible through our own lenses. But rather, the Scriptures must interpret the Scriptures. You must develop the skill, and it is a skill. It is a skill. You must develop the skill of letting the Bible interpret itself. Okay? You don't bring your, your presuppositions. You don't bring your own lens. You don't bring your own hermeneutic, your own interpretive grid to the Scriptures. You let the Scriptures interpret themselves. This is why the Bible makes explicit commands that young people, new converts, should not teach. They should not. Because they still have the wrong... They haven't gotten their bad lenses shaken out of them yet. And it also means that we need to develop a pattern of patiently reading and being instructed in the Bible over time. Do you remember what happened to Paul? Paul. Paul. New Testament Paul. Okay? He had to go away with the rest of the apostles for a season and just soak and learn and be instructed. This is important stuff for us to pull away. And that means that for all of us, all of us, For us to be able to read the Bible rightly, it means we must know the whole thing. Know the whole thing, cover to cover. All of it. You must. You can't interpret Scripture with Scripture if you don't know 
Scripture, right? But see, what, what we like to do in, in modern Westernism, what we, what we like to do is we like to say, well, we, I take out my favorite verse and I just apply it across the board. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's called proof texting. We, we take out this text out of context. We remove it from the surrounding verses around it. We remove it from the context in which it was originally written. We remove the, the context to the, the Old Testament or the New Testament or whatever. And we say, ah, yes, look, this verse applies universally across the board. Why do we do that? Because it's easy, right? Because it's a lot easier to do that than it is to say, I need to carry the burden of the whole Bible before I can know that I can understand the Bible Rightly. Do y'all follow with me here? We, you must have all of the scriptures in order to understand rightly all of the scriptures. We must. And we have had as Westerners such a low view of the authority of the Bible that we have decided we don't need to do that work. That we can just take one random verse the concept of, you ever heard somebody say, this is my life verse. And I'm not saying that I hate life verses, you know, whatever. I think that's fine. You got some verses that are your favorite. I have verses that are my favorites. It's generally not a good idea to apply those with a stronger principle of application than anything else. But I think everybody has favorite passages from the Bible. But what we do is we remove it from its context and we apply it universally. And that's dangerous. And we have to be careful. So how do we correct this? How do we correct this? How do we, how do we develop the skill of bringing all of the Bible to bear on all of the Bible. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's slow. It's, it's slow. Uh, we, we've had many young men come to our church and, and say things like, hey, I, I want to plant a church. I'm wondering if y'all can teach me how to plant a church so that I can go out and plant a church after being with you guys for a year or two. And our answer to them is always, no, that's not, that's not how this works. You, you can come here, and we can get to know you, and we can vet your family, and we can teach you the Bible, and maybe in five years or so, you might be qualified. But you don't come here for church planner training, and then we kick you right back out the door. That's because that's not biblical, because we don't know them, because you're qualified to teach other people based on the commission of who? Of the local church that sends you. Do you see? You don't show up somewhere and say, hey, I'm qualified to teach the Bible. Well, who told you that, buddy? Well, the Lord told me that. Okay, did he tell you that through a local body of believers, or you just, he just gave you something? Do you see what I mean? It takes time. It takes a long time. And it takes a daily habit of just, like Pastor Toby said last week, laying a brick. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. The cathedrals weren't built in a day. Some of them took 800 years. We have to recover the patience of steeping ourselves in the Word of God and waking up and lay in a brick each and every day. So what does that, what does that look like practically, Pastor Stewart? What does that look like? How do I, how do, I do that? First, it, it means a lot 
of daily Bible intake. That's, what, that's step one, okay? Step one, it means a lot of daily Bible intake. And I, I'm talking like four, five, six chapters every day, non-negotiable. And if, you, if you're not a part of our church's Bible reading plan, come and talk to me or talk to any of our other members in the room. They can get you connected to it and get you started. Don't go all the way back to the beginning if you're just jumping in. Just jump in today and go forward. We got slides that pass through that show everybody how to jump in and be a part of the group. If you're not a part, you should be. And I want to warn you in advance, this ain't lightweight Bible reading, okay? This is four, five, six chapters a day. Some days it's 20 minutes. And for those days, you're like, whew, 20 minutes. Some days, it's 45. If you're a slower reader like me, sometimes you look up and you're like, I've been doing my morning devotions for like an hour. Amen. You laid a brick. Do you see what I'm saying? You put your, you put your brick up today. Maybe sometimes you got to split it up between the morning and the evening. Maybe sometimes you got a lunch break and you put it in the middle of the day. But that's step one. Step one is to say, Lord, I repent and I will receive your word each and every day. Four, five, six chapters a day over the course of years. That's step one, okay? Step two, faithful church attendance. Now, let me back that. Okay, let me back that up real fast and kind of help us understand what I mean by faithful church attendance, okay? Here, I'm assuming that everybody in the room gets that Sunday mornings are a non-negotiable because that's the corporate worship of the Lord, okay? I'm, I'm operating with that assumption. And if we don't have that assumption fully formed in our hearts yet, I would say, hey, get it beaten down deep, okay? You are at church every Sunday morning non-negotiable no matter what. And just do that for six months. Just do that for six months. That's not, that's not long. That's like, what, 26 Sundays? Yeah, 26 Sundays. Do that for six months. Just just get that habit formed. Non-negotiable. I'm here with the Lord's people every Sunday morning, no matter what. That's to worship, yes. But you also receive the instruction of the Lord, okay? You also receive his, his teaching. But let me tell you, let me tell you, I'm just going to be perfectly plain here. If all you've got is 45 minutes once a week, you're not going to make it. Do you hear me? I'm saying this because I love y'all, okay? Some of y'all are like, why is Stuart being so mean today? I'm not being mean. I'm saying this because I love you and I want to high-five you in heaven, okay? Like, we're going to get up there, I'm going to high-five you, and then we're going to go play ping-pong with Abraham or something. I don't know, but it's going to be legit. It's going to be a great time. I say this because I love you. Non-negotiable. Every Sunday. But if that's all you have, it's not enough. I mean, think about that. What on earth could you do once a week for 45 minutes that would actually change your life? There's not much, right? Well, I exercise once a week for 45 minutes. Fit as a fiddle. That's stupid. You're like, why am I still fat? <laughs> you know, like, that's not going to work. Uh, well, I, I eat healthy once a week for 45 minutes. So that, that works, right? No, it doesn't work course it doesn't work. You see, nothing else works that way. Well, I go to my job once a week for 45 minutes. You are fired. (laughs) You can't keep that job. Do you see what I'm saying here? You need not just your worship on Sunday, but that should be a non-negotiable, and that's the baseline, but you, you need Sunday school. We have Sunday school classes, and I promise you, the people that are in that room are growing exponentially. 
We have Sunday school classes. They start here at 9 o'clock. Show up. Show up. Some of y'all are like, listen, Pastor Stewart, I love you, but every time you open your mouth, it's like I'm drinking from a fire hose. Amen. Let's go, baby. Let's just, just open a little wider. <laughs> and we're going to make it. I promise. Sunday school starts every day. Every, every day. Whew. We're not quite there yet, but one day. <laughs> one day. Every Sunday at 9 o'clock, show up. We have our Wednesday night Bible studies. Show up. Show up. Make these simple little things just non-negotiables in your life. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to learn. And then when you're in the room, you got to fight those distractions, don't you? you got to fight those distractions. you gotta, you got to sit forward in your chair, right? Anybody in here a teacher? If you have children, you're automatically a teacher, right? But it's not good enough if the student just shows up to class, is it? They show up to class, and they put their head down on their desk, and then they sleep. That's not good enough, <laughs> right? If you want to learn something, you sit forward, you listen, you pay attention. You, some, some, sometimes there's notes involved. You're like, you take notes at church? I'm like, well, look around you. A lot of people do. This is important for us as God's people. You sit forward, you listen, you receive the instruction of the Lord. You heed, you repent, and you obey. My, my dad... There's also, let me actually take a step back here. And then you do it consistently, and you do it for years. All right? You lay that brick every single day for years. Now, here's, here's what happens. Here's what inevitably happens. Is after you do that, after you're faithfully engaged in all the teachings of the Lord for three, six, nine months, you start to think, hey, I know some stuff. Don't know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We call this the cage stage, okay? Where you, you're like, I, I know some stuff about the Bible. And you know what? Those people don't know some stuff about the Bible. So now it's my job, and I'm going to make sure that they know stuff about the Bible. You know what that is? You know just enough to be dangerous. Have you ever heard that expression before? You, you know just enough to think that you know something when you really don't know nothing yet. My dad had this expression. My dad, was a, he worked in aviation for his entire life. From the time that he moved out of his house when he was 18 years old until this day, which my dad is 76 now, 75, 76. From his whole life, he's worked in aviation. He's received awards, like aviation maintenance is what it's done. My dad got an award whenever he retired from one of his jobs for having 30,000 consecutive safe flight hours logged. That's crazy. I mean, I might be speaking gibberish to some of you guys, but that's insane. It's an insanely high number. And my dad, he had this expression. He said, there's nothing more dangerous than a thousand-hour pilot. Now, let me, let me frame that for you. See, the deal was, when there was a pilot, and he got about a thousand hours worth of flight time under his belt, he thought he knew how to do something. You see? He got comfortable. He felt like he had accomplished something in his life. He felt like he had, he had moved the ball pretty far down the field. He felt like he was somebody at that point. But see, here's the deal. He knew just enough to be dangerous. He knew just enough to where he felt safe, maybe not going through the whole pre-flight check. He knew, he knew just enough to where he felt safe, to where he, he didn't have to pay so much attention to these gauges. And my dad said, there's nothing more dangerous than one of those. We can't be that. 
So I first want to challenge you to take the instruction of the Lord very seriously and commit to it all the way down. Bible reading, and every time the doors are open, you're there receiving the instruction. And I also want to challenge you to commit to doing it for the long haul before you try to suddenly be a teacher. Hey, I've been going to church for three months, and i got to tell you all, I know some stuff. Okay, you know, pump the brakes. Hold on. Give it some space and follow the Lord in all of life. And this is part of the reason why when we read, I shall not want, we read it the wrong way. Wanting stuff is bad. Do you see? This is not what the Lord is actually instruct us. In, in the context of the Scriptures, we do have wants. And the, in the context of this passage... In other words, if you are, what's the context of the whole passage, of all, of all of Psalm 23, okay? The context of the whole passage is you have a shepherd, and if you're trusting your shepherd, he, he leads you, he leads you, he directs you, he guides you to do certain things. So if you're trusting your shepherd, it's going to be okay. So Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all? All things, all things, Romans 8.32 says. So what does that mean? It means that he will give you all things for what purpose? For his glory, for you to steward for his kingdom faithfully. You shall not want because you shall not lack. Do Do you see the context of the passage? It's not saying wanting is bad. It's saying you're not going to want because the Lord's got you busy. (laughs) The Lord's given you what you need to be fruitful for him and so that you can carry out that work. One of the things that came up this morning in Sunday school class was, Pastor, what do we do about AI? And my only thing to say about the AI world right now is don't let it make you lazy. I think it's a great tool if you use it rightly. I think you can use it to generate all kinds of things. We use it at our work all the time. I think it's a great tool if you use it rightly. But don't you dare... Use it to give yourself more free and idle time to do nothing. Right? Right? Be faithful with it and use your time well. You shall not want because you shall not lack. So what does that mean we should do? All right, let's go. You ready? What does that mean that we should do? First off, be faithful with the time that you have. Be faithful with what the Lord has given you. Wield your resources well. Make sure that everything around you is operating as it should be. In other words, a way to express that is get your house in order. Make sure that you are being efficient, operating well, and that things are growing and flourishing and thriving around you. That's, that's step one. Make sure that you are faithfully following the Lord. And then, what else should you do? Ask for more. Ask, ask for more. Ask for more to be faithful with. Ask for more opportunity. If you have not because you ask not, then what should we do? We should ask. Right? Ask Him for more. Ask Him to make us faithful, yes, and be faithful what you have, but ask Him for open the open ask him to open the the windows of heaven itself and pour out a blessing ask him for more let's let's do this let's do this if we don't have because we refuse to ask then what's wrong with us ask him lord i i want i want more opportunity to be faithful 
Please give me more opportunity to be faithful. I want more opportunity to be faithful. And you could be specific too. Lord, give me an opportunity to fight for your glory. Now watch out when you pray for things like that because, you know, Goliath's going to show up when you pray that way. And you're gonna, all you're going to have is a sling and a rock. And hopefully you know how to handle it. I, I remember one time praying to the Lord. Maybe this sermon shouldn't even go on the internet. I don't know. I'm, this one might be embarrassing. Talk to me about it afterward. All right, but anyway. I remember one time praying to the Lord, you know, I looked around our life, I was like, God, I, I, think, I, think, we're, I think we're being faithful, I think, I think we're, we're trying to steward things well, but Lord, I really want to keep being faithful, and, and I think in order to be faithful, God, we really just need 10 grand. That was a terrifying prayer to pray, <laughs> okay? I didn't know what else to do. I was looking around, I was like, God, I, I, I want to be faithful, I think we need to be faithful, and I think I see how to be faithful, but in order for us to, to really increase our, our fruitfulness here, I think, I, I, think, I think we need 10 grand. And I got to tell you, that, that prayer at the time made me feel icky. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, because why? Because I had a poor hermeneutic to interpret the scriptures from, and I thought, you shall not want, men don't want things, want things bad. And I had just started to understand the concept of asking your father like he's your father. God, I think, I think we need 10 grand. It even like felt weird coming out of my mouth. Because I was letting the culture around us instruct me and not the Bible. Do you see what I'm saying? This is why you need time with it. This is why you got to soak in it. This is why you got to have all the scriptures and you got to marinate in them. I was letting the culture around me instruct me and not the scriptures. That's why it felt icky because at the time wealth itself felt icky or wicked. Do you get it? And wealth throughout the scriptures is never regarded as icky or wicked. It's regarded as a blessing from God. Even the wealth of the wicked is stored up for who? Say it with me. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So what did the Lord do? It took some time, but eventually a check showed up in our business, not for 10, but for 12. And I said, okay, 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 okay. I think I see what's happening here. I think I see. I think I understand. And we were able to take all of that and be fruitful with it in the way that I wanted to be fruitful. And it was so cool. It was so cool. But you notice also in Martin Luther's expression, you know, you don't sit and wait for the chicken to fly into your mouth, right? You notice also this, the, the blessing came through the avenues in which we were working and trying to expand and obey the Lord and work, right? Like, so you don't just say like, you don't just sit there and say, God, I need $100,000. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not how that works, right? You're, you're working, you're being fruitful, you're trying to look for opportunities, you're doing all of those things. And, and, and the Lord did it. He did it. Um, recently I had, a, I had a, a series of meetings that I knew were going to be difficult and controversial and, and high anxiety for me to go through. And, and so I asked the Lord, I don't know, I don't, it just, I, I woke up that morning and I was doing my morning devotions in the morning like I normally do. And, and the Lord just impressed upon me. It might've been the reading for that day actually that did it to me. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, but the Lord just impressed upon me, Hey, you need to pray for me to go before you in battle. And I was like, all right, we're going. 
Lord, I got these terrifying meetings today. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I just need you to go before me in battle. Do you know what that means to go before you in battle? That means he's gone before you and prepared everything for you to, to, be, to, to fight well. He's, he's gone before you. As in like the, the enemy's already defeated before you show up at the door, right? That's what it means for the Lord to go before you in battle. And I was like, Lord, I, 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 I need you to go before me. I need you to go before me in battle. I, I need you to do the work ahead of time. I need you to be the banner over me. I need you to do it. And you know what? He did. The, the meetings that I was going to that day that I knew everybody was angry and I knew that it was probably going to be a fight. I, I walked up the steps to go meet the person that I was going to have my meeting with that day. And they said, hey, man, how's it going? And I was like, we're cool. He said, he said man, you're, you're looking great. It's always a weird compliment for me to receive from another man, but you know, whatever. Like, like oh, thank, oh, thank you. Went in, had the meeting. You know, everything. We, the questions were all answered before the meeting even started. We just talked about cool stuff we wanted to do in the future. I was like, wow, the Lord went before me in battle. <laughs> it actually happened. He did it. He did the work ahead of time. He's the banner over me. He did it. And, and later that day, he revealed to me a problem that I didn't even know. I was going to have to face and fight. He showed me something else. He showed me more fights that I'm going to have to deal with in the future. I'm like, man, Lord, when you show up, you show up. You show up all the way. You see, what I'm saying is, ask him. I want to be more fruitful. Ask him for opportunities to be more fruitful. I want to build your kingdom more. Ask him for opportunities to build his kingdom more. God, I, I think I need this to do your work. Do you know that God's Answer is always yes. Okay, now listen. Now some of y'all just were like, but sometimes I know it's no. Just listen to me. Here's what I mean whenever I say that, okay? God's answer is always yes, meaning he always is giving you what is best for you, right? You might not even know the right question to ask the Lord, but his withholding of something from you is not a no, you can't have it. It's a I have something better. I've got something better for you. You see what I'm saying? His answer for his children is, is, is yes. Ask him. Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to be fruitful. Lord, help me to be faithful and fruitful. Lord, go before me, please. And knowing this, it honestly, it makes me, it makes me braver to pray more like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, Lord. I want to be, I want to be faithful and fruitful. And I think, I think the next thing that we need is, is this. We've been praying for a new building for this church for how long? Some of y'all are like, have we ever not been praying for a new building for this church? I think we've always been doing that. And you know what the Lord has consistently said to us? Mm -mm. I have something better for you. And so here we are. And I don't know why, and I don't know to what end, but here we are. And I think he's got a good reason for it. Duh. So now we as his people just wait and see what other opportunities come. We should still pray for it, right? Lord, we pray for opportunities. We pray we want to be faithful. I think a building would be helpful. I think we could do something cool with it. We still pray for it. Okay, preacher, I got it. Be emboldened. Ask the Lord. Read the Bible the right way. Understand what it really teaches. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And then cry out to God for help. Okay, I got all those things. But if you're like me... The next thing that you think is, 
but preacher, I need like a one, two, three step, okay? <laughs> I, need, I need you to tell me to pray for these things. I need you to say, okay, well, I have good news for you because if you just follow Psalm 23 through the rest of the, through the, rest of the passages here, you're going to see that that's exactly what you're given. You're given the next things to pray for. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So I just want to take a moment and say, here's three prayers that you could just write down and pray every morning, okay? Three simple prayers that we're receiving from the Bible, that we're receiving from Scripture to pray every morning. Let's just go through it. First, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Lord, I pray for green pastures, and I pray to lie down, <laughs> right? Lord, Lord, make me lie down down in green pastures. Have you ever been around sheep before? Have you ever been around a sheep? And some of y'all are like, well, I've seen one on television. Nope, that doesn't count, okay? If you've ever been around a sheep, you know what they are very rarely doing? Being still. (laughs) Very rarely are they being still. Very rarely, okay? They are bouncing all over the place, and they are sheep screaming 22 hours a day. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, like all day long, all day long. I had goats at my house for a little while. They were the same, if not worse. Every 22 hours a day. I'm like, when do you sleep, creatures? When do you sleep? Just just sheep screaming off the side all day. They're, they don't know how to rest. I own two German shepherds. They're the opposite, okay? My German shepherds sleep 22 hours a day. The sheep do not work that way. They do not work that way. They don't rest. They're skittish. They're afraid of everything. They jump backwards if like a bug crawls on the ground next to them. They're they're terrified little creatures. And they're always getting themselves into things that they ought not be in because they just can't sit still. Why hello, fellow sheep. Right? Why hello. This This is us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Right? He makes me. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I'm just going to read this to you. Just listen. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, you know the story, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Martha has chosen, Mary, excuse me, Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? To sit still at Jesus' feet. What did Martha choose? To be the busy one. Oh, so much to do. Ah! She, was, she was running around. Mary chose to, to lie down in green pastures. Do you see? To sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, now, some of us have the, the Martha disposition here. We are, we are always busy. 
We're just perpetually moving on to the next task, unable to rest, refusing to rest, and even sacrificing the Sabbath rest of the Lord's day that God has given to us. We refuse to stop for long enough just to enjoy the Lord and his gifts. That's a problem. Well, I just have, I have more things to do. Well, repent and rest on the Lord's day. Repent. It's the same principle as the tithe, right? You see that, don't you? We give 10% of our income. It's the Lord's. He said it's His. The Lord told you to rest on the Lord's day. Obey Him. Obey Him. People were cursed because they didn't rest on the Sabbath. In fact, in the Old Testament, it got to the point where some people had to be executed because they refused to honor the Lord with that commandment. They refused to do it. That's a problem refusing the rest that the Lord gives to you. So some of us have that, that Martha disposition where we just refuse to rest, and we think there's always something that we have to do. There's always the next thing. Oh, no, I have too much to do. Well, then you should probably do less and trust the Lord and rest on his day. And I bet you if you rested on his day and truly honored it, that he would actually give you the capacity to finish everything else. But I'd have to, I don't know. It's the only day I can go to the grocery store. Mm, I don't think so, Tim. Sorry, that was a home improvement reference. Does anybody else watch that show? That was me, like me and my dad's show growing up. My bad. I won't say that one again. No guarantees. So, it, uh, it's the only day I can, I don't know, do the laundry. None of your ordinary work is what the commandment says. Don't do any of your ordinary work. It's the only day that I can work my side hustle. Then you need a new side hustle. Or maybe a new first hustle. I don't know. But you need to trust the Lord. Obey Him, and He says He'll bless you. That's a problem that some of us have. Some of us are actually the other way, though, right? Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Some of us, or maybe this actually might be the same person, just they have their priorities flipped. That's possible, too. But, but some of us um, rest when the pastures aren't green. You know what I'm talking about? We lie down when, it's not, when the pasture isn't green, um, you, you lie down when the house is burning down around you, right? You know, like, well, got to trust the Lord, and there's just fire everywhere. Well, I, you know, maybe you should get a fire extinguisher, you know? Like, maybe you should, maybe you should try to put that, put that out. Maybe, because you're going to die, and you're going to lose everything. You see, like, some of us, we lie down when the pastures aren't green yet. We, the house is burning down around us, and we say, this is fine. I'm trusting the Lord. I, I agree, trust the Lord, but you know, if there's a fire extinguisher, you should probably use it. I don't think you're going to be violating the Sabbath. That's not holiness, in other words. That's, that's fake holiness. That's fake Christian piety. That's, that's laziness, okay? You're resting when it's not time to rest. You're, you're refusing to fight when there's, when there's actually no, no peace around you. You're, you're the one that's saying, peace, peace, when there, when there is no peace. To borrow somebody else's expression, I think it was Rosaria Butterfield that says this, uh, you don't know what time it is. The, the, the house is on fire, right? It's not time to lay down and take a nap. It's time to figure out how to fight and get the fire out. The pastures aren't green. It's not 
time to lay down. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. That They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Just to draw the illustration all the way home, our world is burning right now. Children are being mutilated. God is being mocked, generally speaking. The grass ain't green in the world around us. There's a lot of work to do. But receive the green pastures that the Lord does give to you. And what I'm trying to say is work hard, fight, and rest on the Lord's day. And enjoy Him. What, what a jovial people we could be to the world around us. To where we work hard and fight six days, and then on our Lord's Day we feast and celebrate and rejoice with joyful disposition. We are we are merry soldiers in the battle for the in the battle for the world. All right, let's keep going. So there's the first one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Second one. Keep going. You lead me beside still waters. Still. Now that's that's a tricky that's a tricky phrase, right? Still waters, like you mean like waters that aren't like, you know, like sea raging waters, you know? Like is that is that what we're talking about? I still no, that's the wrong picture. I, I understand though it's tricky language here, but I need you to picture in your mind sheep drinking from a puddle. Okay? Now, when you you got a puddle on the ground, all right, now what what causes the puddle to be dirty if it's been moved around, right? And so a shepherd leading his sheep by still waters means the water has been undisturbed, so it's not dirty, it's settled. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the sheep can go and drink clean water. Still means not dirty. The puddles, the puddles have settled. The, the, it's not a disturbed puddle that's muddy and dirty. Yeah, okay, we, all right, we got it. Y'all got that. Okay, great. And the sheep, here's the thing about sheep, is they don't care, <laughs> right? Sheep are like, look, mud, you know, and they just, they lap it up. They're going to go after it. They're going to drink it. They're going to drink the, they're going to choose the dirty water. Hit me with that muddy water, you know, like that. And this is us. This is us. Specifically, I want to, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, just listen. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, Okay, did y'all hear that? Listen close. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay, so you're refusing the still waters of the Lord, and you're instead like, I'm going to get my own water. I'm going to do this myself. And you're choosing the, the draining, dirty, turbulent, muddy waters of the world. Do you see the picture that we're trying to be? You're, you're refusing the good, clean water of the Holy Spirit. You're moving towards the dirty water of the world. Okay, how do we do this? Let me just run through a couple of examples. God gives you a spouse, a good spouse to delight in. And you fantasize about someone else. Or you fantasize about a different life that you wish you had. God gives you a mission and a purpose to build His kingdom, to fight for Him, to expand the dominion of the world, and you waste your time with laziness and sloth. You see, you're, you're rejecting the good still waters. You're choosing the turbulent, muddy waters that I'm going to do this myself. God gives you a home. He gives you family. He gives you friends. But you can't lie down. You can't rest when it's time to rest. And, and 
And here's the thing about this. What, what do you do to drink from the water that the Lord provides for you? Just entertain me in this illustration from Jeremiah just really quick. What do you do to drink from the still water that the Lord gives you? What do you do? He leads you to it. What do you do? You, you, bend, you bend over and you drink. That's it. But if you want to make your own cisterns, what do you got to do? It's a lot more work, in other words. Sin is always, listen to me, sin is always a lot more work than just trusting in the Lord. Always is. If sloth, if laziness occupies your life, then what do you have to do? That means now you've got to crack in 40 hours worth of work into a six-hour window because you've squandered your whole week. Do you see what I'm saying? If sloth and laziness occupy your life, it's, it's much harder. It's much more difficult. It's much more anxiety-filled. If, if, you, if you reject the good blessing of, of a spouse the Lord has given you and, and you've extend, instead chosen physical or emotional affairs, then now you have to lie to cover your tracks. And you have to perpetually keep the lie up over time. Oh no, what did they find out? What did they find out? It's anxiety-filled. It's stressful. And you have to maintain that lie your whole life. And the Bible promises your sin will find you out. And we've seen it. You can't keep those secrets. It's always more work to sin. Always. But one of the things that the enemy consistently tries to convince us of is that it's the easy way out. And it never is. It never is. It's so much more work to dig your own well than to trust the Lord in His provision of good water for your life. Trust the Lord and stop trying to dig your own dirty mud puddles. All right, so there's number two. He leads me beside still waters. Let's do one more. Number three. Last one. You restore my soul. Now, sheep. We're going back to the context and the illustration that we're given here in Psalm 23. With sheep, what do sheep do? They run away, right? And the illustration that's given us in the New Testament with Jesus is when one has gone astray, what does Jesus do? He, go, he leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one, Right? And if you read further down in Psalm 23, there's something really interesting. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you see that part? Now, when we, when we read that, um, we picture uh, a sheep and his, uh, a shepherd, excuse me, and his walking stick, right? He's just out here with his walking stick enjoying life. But the, it's two different words and it's two different descriptors. And I, I want to I walk through that really quickly with you. First off, there's the, there's the rod. Now, the rod here is the same rod that we talk about whenever the Bible says what? The rod of correction. Okay, so the, rod, the picture that you're getting here is there's, there is this stick, this probably rather long and slender stick. You ever watched videos of like shepherds in the, in the eastern areas of the world shepherding? What do they do? They have a big, long stick. And what do they do? Shpack, shpack, shpack. You know, all the, all the sheep that are going the wrong way, they just walk behind them and just blip. And they're just popping them. 
They're just whoop, reminding them where to go. Hey, 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 hey. Okay? Uh, translate um, sharp, quick, painful experiences to keep you from dying. Okay? <laughs> right? That's what the rod is. And that's what the rod of correction is for your children. You're trying to preserve their life by correcting them whenever they're young so that they can be trained up in righteousness. You follow with me? So we, that's one tool, the long, long, skinny rod that he's, whoosh, okay, no, wrong way, whoosh, you know, you got that going on. That's happening as they're, as they're shepherding and leading. That's the, the rod. And then you also have the, the staff. Now, the staff is, is better under, you, you ever seen the shepherd's crooks? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. What's the shepherd's crook for? The shepherd's crook is for when you have a, a real stubborn sheep, Okay. Like, so the rod's like, oh, all right, all right, all right, we're, we're back. Okay, sorry, my bad. I'm going the right way now. My bad. Okay, that's the rod. Let's say you try that a couple times with one of your sheep, and they're like, make me. I am not going that way. That's what the staff is for. And the shepherd, being a good shepherd, caring for his sheep, takes his staff and reaches out and grabs that joker around the neck, and drags it, sheep screaming, all the way back to the rest of the flock. You know, that's, that's it. That's the purpose, okay? But what does the psalm say? Your rod and your staff, man, they hurt. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Your rod and your staff, they chafe me. Nope, still wrong. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. That's a sheep that got some wisdom. That's a sheep that says, you know what? I am prone to leave. <laughs> I am. I, thank you, Jesus, for that sharp, painful reminder. <laughs> when was the last time we prayed that, right? Thank you, Jesus, that you just humiliated me a good amount, and I feel more better now. Like that, but that's what it says. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. This is why um, Come Thou Fount has a lyric in it, uh, prone to wander, right? Lord, I feel it, prone to leave. Because sheep, right? Sheep. Nobody gets lost like a sheep. And that's us. And this is why, this is why First John, every Sunday we say, if we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? We say that every week when we do our confession. If you read the verse right before that, it's very interesting. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's why we can say it. That's why that passage is true. Because we're sheep. You got it? And we need his rod and his step. You see, it's Jesus that preserves you. It's not you. It's Jesus that holds you on the path of righteousness. It's not you. He, he follows behind you with his rod and with his staff. And sometimes he hooks you around the neck and drags you back kicking and screaming. Like it's, it's Jesus that preserves you, not you. It's not your righteousness. It's his. He's the good shepherd. You're the sheep. You got it? And so when he corrects you, your initial response is, how dare you? No, 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 no. Your your initial response needs to be, 
Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Because if you didn't do this for me, Jesus, I would be way gone by now. And some of y'all can tell that exact story today and to your children and your grandchildren and generations to come. And you should, because they need to hear it. You restore my soul. Who restores? Jesus. The shepherd restores. Now, sometimes it's just a little and reminds, oh, eh, my bad, my bad, my bad. And sometimes it's the full crook, the looping around the neck and the dragging back against our will, kicking and screaming to his people. But that's okay. What I'm trying to say to you is sometimes being restored is not a pleasant experience. But it is good. Sometimes being restored hurts a lot. But it is good. Sometimes it looks like Jesus letting you deny him publicly three times before he wakes you up. Maybe for years before he wakes you up. Sometimes it looks like Jesus letting you squander all your wealth and all your possessions before he wakes you up. Like the prodigal son. Sometimes it it looks like you being turned over to Satan so that your soul may be saved, like the adulterer in 1 Corinthians 5. Sometimes it hurts real bad. But it's always good. It's always good. Here's the point that I'm really trying to make here. You can be restored. And so can any of those who have fled the truth. We say this all the time at Christ Church. There is no point in which you are too far gone. There is no point. They can be restored. Maybe you feel like you, you've fled from the truth for years and you can't go back and you have so much secret sin buried in the vault that you can't, you can't even possibly begin to open it because all hell would break loose if it was opened. Listen, all hell has already broken loose in your life. It's already there. It's there now. You just don't see it because the consequences haven't landed yet. But it's not too late. You can confess and repent. You can be restored. You can be. Pray for your soul to be restored. Pray, ask for it. Pray for others' souls to be restored. And then wait for Jesus to show up with the shepherd's crook and the staff. (laughs) Amen? And maybe, maybe he's going to send you as his representative with a shepherd's crook and a staff to go and restore somebody. Maybe that's going to happen. But be ready to do the work and fight for your soul and for the soul of others. And sometimes when you're fighting for the soul of others, it looks a lot like you're fighting them, doesn't it? It looks a lot like you're fighting them. But you're fighting for them. Do you see? No more self-justifying. No more. No more hiding from our shame because of the things that we've done. No more. 
He restores. So be restored. Psalm chapter 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray.